Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Good afternoon. It's Friday, May 27th, and this is Noon Edition with Alex Roy. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. This week, we'll talk about the aftermath of recent storms which have struck the Midwest. With us in studio are Sue Gully, the executive director of the Monroe County chapter of the Red Cross, as well as Indiana Department of Homeland Security Field Services Division Director Jerry Husband. And on the phone from NPR affiliate KGOU in Norman, Oklahoma, is News Director Kurt Gwartney. We'll also talk later in the program by phone with Ball State University storm chaser Jesse Huilla, who will talk to us about some of the science of all of this. You, our listeners, can be a part of our program today by calling 812 812- Eight five five zero eight one one or toll free at eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. You can also go to our website, which is wfiu dot org slash noon edition, and you can leave a comment there. Thanks for being with us, guys. I'm Alex Roy. Jerry, I want to start with you. Um, yesterday, I was reading that the Department of Homeland Security was in Bloomington, Bedford, Greensburg to assess damages. And right before you know, we went on air, you were saying that you did some um, flyovers of these areas. Uh, can you tell us a little about the damage that you witnessed yesterday? Um, yeah. It, you know, as we uh, went from place to place, we did start in Greensburg. And uh, the city itself sustained most of the damage in that area. Um, and uh, it, it's pretty devastating. The tornadoes took, uh, uh, it seems like, an unusual effect. Instead of hitting the ground and staying there for a very long period of time, it seemed to have bounced around. And uh, so there was very sporadic damage. But where there was damage was very significant. Um, uh, in Greensburg, also, they sustained a lot of hail damage. And um, it was just... Um, Siding was just riddled with uh, with holes uh, due to uh, significant hail there. Now in um, in Bedford, um, the the storm damage was uh, was again very devastating when those tornadoes hit the ground. Uh, and I guess I shouldn't say those. It has not been determined whether there was one or more than one. I believe, um, but in um, in Bedford, uh, we looked at several homes that were completely destroyed. Uh, by this storm. Um, Again, we got to Bloomington and saw virtually the same thing in uh, a trailer park here on uh, 45, I believe it was, that uh, was significantly damaged and and some homes destroyed. So uh, this this was a devastating storm for Indiana. Kurt, I want to go to you and and tell me uh, how does that sort of view of what it looks like in Indiana gel with what you're seeing in Oklahoma? Well, we often see that kind of damage in Oklahoma, especially with weaker tornadoes, what's called an EF1 or EF2 on the enhanced Fujita scale. Uh, but what we experienced here in Oklahoma uh, this week was really unusual. In fact, uh, probably the most significant of the uh, seven tornadoes that hit the state on Tuesday was one that just skirted the northern side of the Oklahoma City metropolitan area. And to give you an, an idea about this particular tornado, this is one tornado It was on the ground for two hours, traveled 75 miles, and had estimated wind speeds of 166 to 200 miles per hour. When that kind of storm bears down on your home, no matter how well it's constructed, uh, your your home is going to be uh, pretty much gone, uh, unless you have extraordinary construction in your your structure. Um, And and that's what we saw, where this particular storm hit uh, a couple of housing divisions, uh, pretty much all the homes in in those neighborhoods are gone. And by gone, I mean all that's left standing is a foundation. I wonder if you find that in a place like Oklahoma, where tornadoes are, are kind of a way of life for people there, that the public is prepared after enough time living there to deal with them? Or, or does it seem to you that either, A, it's you cannot prepare for something uh, of that size that you just talked about, or people don't do enough to prepare or maybe simply live in places where you just can't weather storms because there's nothing around you and your house is just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, the one of the one of the 
kind of jokes is is that uh, you know you're a true Oklahoman when you hear a tornado siren and you go outside. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and unfortunately, there there is some truth to that. However, I would also say that our uh, National Weather Service forecast offices, both in uh, Norman and in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which serves the eastern half of the state, are uh, have been amazingly good in getting the word out in advance. We had. Uh, a good three days lead time that Tuesday was going to be bad. And in fact, their predictions of when the storms were going to start and where they were going to start was so accurate. It was, it was, it was within just a few minutes of when they said storms will be developing to the west of the Oklahoma City area uh, around 3 o'clock. They'll be in the metropolitan area around 5 o'clock. And I'm looking at the official report right here. And it said that uh, the start location of that tornado I just told you about was at 3.30, and it uh, lifted at 5.35 p.m. in the metro area. So, so we just have amazing forecasters, and most people, when they hear that kind of message, they are getting ready in Oklahoma. And, uh, in fact, we started in Tulsa. They started what's called the Storm Ready Cities, where uh, there is a program you can, a community can go through to be sure the community is ready for a violent, severe storm. Obviously, the storms that hit Oklahoma were very similar to the ones that hit Indiana. Uh, Sue, I wanted to ask you in terms of preparedness, whether you've been given some lead time like they seem to have had in Oklahoma or whether people seem to have been caught sort of unawares like happened in Monroe County here. Um, does that change at all the role of the the aid agencies like yours in terms of what you need to do to help people get back on their feet after one of these tornadoes or severe storms strikes? I think for us, um, you know, our concern always is about just that, getting people into a place that they can be safe and warm with their family. We're, of course, um, concentrating on sheltering those who are affected by uh, any type of um, natural and man-made disaster of this kind. Um, So that's where we have concentrated this week. I doubt that we would have changed anything about that um, if people had been more prepared. Um, I think that we did get the word from IDHS that this was going to be a difficult day uh, all around the state, which did you know, did certainly happen. Um, and, and while folks are in a shelter, then we start doing our own damage assessment in concert with our emergency management agency to also try to find those neighborhoods where we know we're, we're likely going to have people who need, need our help. I, I'd like to... <clears throat> Excuse me. I'd like to comment about the the preparedness piece that that we're talking about, and and there's a couple of of aspects of preparedness, and and you specifically spoke to the preparedness that are we paying attention to the weather forecasters, and are we paying attention to the weather warning sirens? Do we have uh, weather radios in our home to to help us prepare as well? And, and I think those immediate preparedness efforts. Be smart, have a plan, go to your basement, listen to the weather forecasters. Um, as, as our friend in Oklahoma said, the, the reports we get now are so very accurate that we can't any longer dismiss the weather forecasters as, well, they think it's going to rain or they think whatever. It's a very um, fine science now. Um, another part of the preparedness is not that immediate preparedness, but that long-term planning and initiating, and I know the American Red Cross is very, um, very forward working in that regard, as is Indiana Department of Homeland Security. Um, We really want folks to take some personal ownership. You have to have a plan, and you don't just have a plan for you and your family and your house. You have a plan for what your child Uh, They have a plan in school for what they're going to do. Do you have a plan in how you're going to communicate with the school? And do you know what the school's plan is? Businesses are the same way. Business owners have a responsibility to take care of the people in their facility, in their business. Um, So uh, unless we all take a very proactive approach to preparedness, then um, just being able to run to the basement in the nick of time is not enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some, some places have weather warning sirens, some do not. That's the rural nature of Indiana. But um, 
paying attention to the weather forecasting, having that weather radio in your home cannot take the place of, uh, uh, of well, I guess that there are lots of ways to prepare yourselves and to get that message. And we just need to take advantage of those. And, and technology is a big piece of that now, I think. We, we've got smartphones that can get weather alerts and uh, all kinds of, of methods. But the, the whole preparedness piece is we have to take ownership for our own safety, for the safety of our families. And that preparedness has to be uh, done well in advance of any kind of event. If, if I could add, too, um, communities have that responsibility, too. And we have in, in most counties in Indiana community organizations active in disaster. And we, that's, um, that's true here in Monroe County where organizations get together to really plan that preparedness piece, um, talk about mitigation, um, how they, agencies can better coordinate to keep people uh, prepared and keep that top of mind, and then when a disaster strikes, to be able to help in that long road to recovery. So um, that's something I think is very important. I always encourage people, too, to think about what what part they can play to be a volunteer, to be trained in disaster or disaster recovery, because that opens up many, many options for them, and it helps the community as well. Sue, I'm, I'm building on that. What, what kind of response have you seen from the community in the aftermath of these storms that, that, that passed through uh, south-central Indiana this past week? Well, you know, it's a little early yet because I think that there has been a, a, a bit of shock as people have come in and, and started to drive around to see some of these areas that um, where it's just devastating um, even our our disaster volunteers who are trained in damage assessment have seen you know been surprised by you know certain neighborhoods they did not know it was that bad and i think our emergency management director has experienced that too so right now i think there's there is a lot of uh commercial activity just you know taking cutting trees debris getting debris removal and at the same time we're hearing from folks who what can i do to help can i volunteer uh, what kind of items need to be donated, et cetera. Um, I do know City of Bloomington Volunteer Network is taking some calls in that regard. Um, as far as the Red Cross, we always um, believe that you know financial contributions are best so that it gives us that uh, flexibility to help people at, with what they need at the time they need it and not have to manage um, unsolicited items that people may donate. And that's, that's certainly the guidance we give people in major disasters like Joplin or Tuscaloosa as well. It's much easier on the folks on the ground um, if they don't have to manage unsolicited items that aren't needed at that time. Kurt, let me ask you, as, as far as the response seems to have gone where you are, does it seem that the response agencies have the resources that they need to be able to not only have planned, as you said, people were able to do in, in front of the tornado, but to offer those people some ability to make them whole and to help them get back on their feet after the tornado? Was that planning in place, and has it been effective as far as you can tell? As far as I can tell, it, it was in place and, and has been effective. And, of course, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, we get a lot of practice at that in Oklahoma. We've had several years where we've had more uh, federally, federally declared disasters than, you know, any other state in the country, and that's with 3.5 million people here. So uh, we, we do have practice at that, but there's always that, that level of need that, you know, continues beyond the immediate. You know, we, we see the pictures on television, we hear the stories on the radio, and uh, everybody wants to help. And, and Oklahomans are a very generous, uh, giving, giving group of folks. Uh, but, but sometimes that what can be most helpful is, is the assistance that comes, you know, three months after even, even that long. And we have, uh, we were hit May 10th of last year. And uh, we have teams that are still working in, uh, in helping clear up, clean up, fix, repair, and working to make those people whole that were hit last year in May. Let me ask you, as you're covering this story, uh, this is a story that I would think you have access to a couple of times a year at least. How do you try to keep people understanding of the fact that there is – 
real danger here. There is real suffering that goes on following a tornado when it is such a common weather event and people, you know, live in a place called Tornado Alley in your state. Um, Do you find that there is any complacency at all as far as either before or after the tornado? You mentioned the joke about people going outside when there's a siren, which to people living in the Midwest, uh, you know, a a little bit further east of you sounds a little bit insane, I have to say. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, do you find that that people become complacent to it? And is it hard to to cover in a way that you are feeling like you're reaching your listeners? Well, as I've talked with the uh, experts at the National Weather Center that's also located here in Norman, and they do research on the sociology of how people respond to different messages and things like that. Uh, and, and one of the things that, that we've found is, is that whenever you can relate the current or impending event to one that's happened in recent memory, it really helps. And for most of us living in this part of Oklahoma, May 3rd, uh, the May 3rd tornado, the EF5, had the fastest recorded wind speeds ever on the planet, wiped out, came through the metro area, wiped out portions of uh, several communities, and, and was just one of those one of those storms where, you know, the uh, television meteorologists uh, were saying, if you're in the path of the storm and you're not underground, you will die. When you hear a message like that from somebody who you don't hear that from regularly, it gets your attention and you and you take action. And I think that the fact that forecasters were saying this event on Tuesday has looks very much like the one May 10th of last year uh, makes people go, oh, I remember May 10th of last year. I remember that this is happening. And also the fact that it was going to be happening during the afternoon rush hour. Many businesses, schools, community activities let out early, canceled their events so everybody could be home, could be close to their shelter, and have access to their base plan and their, and their base safe areas in advance of the storms. I want to get to our first phone caller of the afternoon. Lyle is on the phone from Brown County. Lyle, thanks for calling in. Thank you. Um, I appreciate first what you're doing, this uh, program. Uh, WFI, WFIU uh, is the station I listen to, and I'm from... Uh, uh, of course, Brown County here, um, and I, it was real helpful to me this last week. Uh, I got on the phone when I heard some of this, and one of these tornadoes uh, touched down, or they thought a tornado was going to take place around St. Paul, uh, heading right for my brother's place. So I got on the phone and, and, and told him, your programs, um, or, or your uh, uh, the attention that you give this when a storm's going on is really really important to us, and I want to thank you for it. And I do have a question. As a, a landscape painter, I've been in Brown County for 10 years, and I've noticed the last three or four years just keeps getting wetter and wetter, and the storms that come through are just, it, they seem to be uh, more violent. And uh, I was wondering, as experts, can you tell me and the public, is this a genuine trend that's going to continue to just get worse, or is this just a bump? And the statistics, you know, um, what can we expect? Thanks, Lyle. Uh, Kurt, why don't I direct that at you first? What are you hearing from people in the National Weather Service? And then we'll go to to, to Jerry and we'll see what we're hearing from uh, IDHS. Well, in anticipation of that very question, <laughs> I do have numbers in front of me. The, the, th- the number of killer tornadoes, according to the National Weather Service, over the past three years, on average, we've had 22. So it's 22 a year for the past three years. Now, if you look at, um, let's go back to 2008, there were 37 killer tornadoes. There were only nine across the country in 2009, so very low. And in 2010, there were 21. Now, already in 2011, um, we've had 55. So this this year is an aberration. And, and I think what the folks at the National Weather Center would say, and I certainly don't want to speak for them, but that we have these years where we have a significant number beyond the average, and this is one of those years. But I don't know that they would say there is a trend. Uh, Jerry, what are you hearing here in Indiana from not only from within your department, but from the folks at the National Weather Service in Indianapolis about, is it a trend? Is it an aberration? Can they tell at all? Well, you know, in Indiana, we seem to uh, to go from one thing to the next. I mean, uh, the, the standing um, joke up there is, well, you know, we have 
uh, flood and tornado this week, and next week there will be a drought. Uh, I mean, we just, in Indiana, we seem to have those strange occurrences. And and it does seem um, that across our nation, we're seeing storms that are getting worse, um, that we see more devastation. But many folks attribute that to population is more dense, uh, more construction, uh, folks building in floodways, um, uh, and just some normal occurrences that that come with the population increase that we have. So, and with the technology that we can share this information readily across from state to state, nation, and around the world. Um, so, I'm not certain um, that it is increasing. However, um, our gentleman there in in Brown County um, saying that that it's been wet there. Well. I, we have seen, obviously, in 2008, the very significant flooding that we have uh, have seen. And we are also, we've also just gone through some significant flooding again this year. So um, we are seeing uh, upward trends in flooding, probably more so than tornadoes, at least in Indiana. Uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, the, the old joke is if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. You know. <laughs> and uh, I, I wonder, Sue, from your point of view, does that make it harder to uh, put together an operation that can deal with, literally deal with a tornado one week and then the resulting rain and then, you know, a month down the line, you could have no rain for the next 30 days. You could have farmers who have planted their crops and are now they're, they're dying in the fields and, and they're going to need some sort of help from that, that drought or whatever. Does it make it hard with that kind of weather pattern to prepare for any eventuality? Well, I think that, um, you know, one of the things, and kind of getting back to that that other question, as far as the Red Cross is concerned, this year, just since March 31st, we've had 30 relief operations, national-level relief operations, in 23 states. So I think Indiana isn't um, alone in, you know, having some major, uh, major disasters. It is comforting to us that as a local chapter, when a disaster begins to grow in scale, as flooding events will often do, um, we have other neighboring chapters we can call on and our national organization of disaster volunteers. And for instance, to um, uh, those 23 relief operations or 30 relief operations just since the end of March, we have deployed from all 50 states um, disaster volunteers and has we really have not seen that scale of deployment since Katrina. So it, this is definitely a very busy year for us. Could, do you mind if I add something? Um, in thinking about um, the flooding and tornadoes and droughts and, and whatever the calamity may be that we all have to uh, to endure in our state, whether it be Oklahoma or Indiana, um, I think the the foundational information has to be you must prepare. And uh, and I know my partners in the American Red Cross will certainly agree with that. We we have to have a plan, and that plan has to have some flexibility in it. You know, the plan that Oklahoma uses may have the very similar foundations to any plan that we have in Indiana. We we do like to say that if you prepare for the worst case scenario, you build a kit, you have food and water and um, medicines and and sustainment things for your yourself and your family, then you're prepared for just about anything. And and the caveats to whatever the specific threat might be are certainly significant. A flood is very different than a tornado, um, but preparations in general can really lay the foundation for taking care of yourselves during a disaster, no matter what that disaster is. And and I am going to put a plug here for the American Red Cross website, as well as the Indiana Department of Homeland Security website. There's one that's www.getprepared.in.gov. Great information. Um, nice information that you can embrace and say, well, if I build this foundational plan, it will work for my family in almost any given circumstance with the caveats that are, you know, very specific to whatever threat you might be facing today. One more, Kurt. 
I know you have to get going soon, but I'm just wondering, um, you were talking about 55 tornadoes have already touched down this season, well above the average. How yeah, are people... Killer, torna- killer ki- tornadoes. Killer tornadoes. So uh, how do you think people around in your area are going about rebuilding their lives when torna- tornado season is really just beginning? Well, and that's one of the things that, that our governor has, uh, has clearly stated. Governor Mary Fallon, as she toured the damage areas, she repeated the message often that, you know, this is not the end of tornado season. We, we need to remain focused. We need to remain alert. We need to remain prepared. And, uh, and the preparedness piece is so important. Um, I know that, you know, our family, I mean, we did take shelter during this last storm on Tuesday, and uh, we had our go bag with our three days' worth of supplies and our five gallons of water and uh, our pets and their carriers. And, you know, and, and we think that way, and, and we have to do that because the next storm could have come the next day. It may not come until December. I mean, uh, tornadoes happen year-round in Oklahoma, and uh, just because they're at their height here in May uh, doesn't mean that you can let your guard down at all. Well, we've reached the bottom of the hour here, uh, and we're going to have to take a break, but we're going to say goodbye to Kurt. Kurt, thanks so much for your time this afternoon and for uh, uh, your insight into what's going on in, in Oklahoma there, and, uh, and, and stay safe if something like that happens again. Well, and same to you all in Indiana. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. This is Noon Edition here on WFIU. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game, Musical Mini Quiz, as well as Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. We are back here on Noon Edition talking about the aftermath of the recent storms that have struck the Midwest. We've said goodbye for the afternoon to Kurt Gortney, the news director at KGOU in Norman, Oklahoma, but now on the phone line with us, Jesse Hawila, who is a storm chaser from Ball State University. Welcome, sir. Thanks for coming. Hey, thanks for having me. And we'll get to you in in just a second. I'm very curious about some of the science that goes on behind this. I do first want to get to a phone caller who's been kind enough to wait on the line for a few minutes. Stan from Bloomington is calling in. Thanks for calling in to Noon Edition. Thank you. Uh, This may be impractical, but... uh I had the experience of, of living uh, in a Quonset hut on Okinawa, along with uh, my outfit, uh, and for uh, some degree of protection against storms like this, um, our Quonset hut had steel cables over it, anchored in concrete. And here's the impractical part of <laughs> my, my curiosity. For um, uh, trailer uh, parks, would it be possible to have a national standard that there are anchor points so that the trailer can't be torn loose? I realize the roof can be torn off, but I, I just wonder if there there needs to be a national standard for greater stability for that sort of thing. I, I'm not sure who could answer that question. Jerry, why don't we let you have a crack at that? Well, um I can't speak to that, and I don't know the practicality. Um, It's certainly, you know, I saw um, in the last uh, couple of days some pretty devastating effects of uh, these storms on trailers. Um, Now, that being said, let me make sure we're clear. It's not that I saw houses that withstood it without damage either. Um, So either way you look at construction, um, there are significant issues that – you simply can't you can't solve um however i do know that that at this point in time there are there are optional standards for mobile homes as far as tie downs tie down straps but uh, as far as in, encircling the the mobile home uh, you know and to make 
to make anything required by the um, construction industry, um, that would I would assume that would take some legislative action in order to make that happen. Uh, and and again, it would have to come back to sound construction practice, and, and I certainly can't speak to that. And I remember I covered a tornado in Evansville in 2005 or 2006 where uh, a number of people, I think 25 or so people died, and there was talk immediately after that about trying to institute a local ordinance that said for any such building you would need to have these tie-downs to try to make that uh, a reality and to try to keep people safer. So, uh, so Stan, I think this is something that people are talking about, but uh, as Jerry points out, it's something that's hard in some ways to legislate, I think. Thank you. Want to get to a second phone caller? Mike is on the line from Bloomington. Mike, thanks for calling in to Noon Edition this afternoon. Thank you. I was wondering if you could comment on the role of amateur radio and Skywarn storm spotters. Well, that might fit into uh, to both what, what uh, Jesse does and to what uh, Jerry does. Jesse, um, let, let's go to you on that one. Uh, sure. are, are these people you work with in your job? Absolutely. In fact, uh, a lot of my storm chasing friends are ham radio operators and uh, they're very key, actually, lately within the National Weather Service. They, National Weather Service actually uses ham radio as well in staying in contact with storm chasers and storm spotters uh, around the state and really around the nation. And these storm spotters, you know, that chase as well are very instrumental in keeping people aware of, you know, where, what a supercell thunderstorm or what any sort of thunderstorm is doing, and they relay that information to the National Weather Service to better warn uh, what's actually going on, because what you see on radar may not really be what's occurring, you know, in real life. So so by having those ham radio operators, they really do uh, play an, an enormously great part in uh, helping better warn people. And do you and your job use that information to try to track down the storms as, as they are going on or shortly after they have passed? Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, you know, you know, when a, when a severe weather outbreak occurs, usually, you know, there's several... Uh, like we had, you know, just just Wednesday, we had several supercells occurring down in southern Indiana. And one thing that, you know, ham radio operators allow is for, you know, some people will be on one storm, some will be on another storm. And, and basically they tell you where their location is and they say what's going on with one particular storm and you can kind of judge what to do from their information. All right, Mike. Thanks so much for your call. I think you're right that uh, the ham radio operators are, are an integral part of the uh, the organization, and uh, I know that the National Weather Service sends out a lot of information from them uh, that helps us here in the media. Does it help IDHS as well? Uh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, there are a great number of counties in the state of Indiana who have formal formalized RACES teams uh, that support the emergency management agency. So there, there's a, a real point of coordination there. So when the emergency managers um, need additional information, they may send uh, RACES folks out or storm spotters out to communicate with the RACES folks to uh, make sure they're keeping a, a close eye on things. Um, we also, in the state of Indiana, in our uh, state emergency operations center, we have a RACES room. Um, we have uh, dedicated radio folks to that room, uh, volunteers that come in and, uh, and communicate with our local partners to make sure that the state understands the complexities of, of weather systems and what's going on out there um, in that communications arena as well. So uh, a, a huge asset and a huge benefit to local emergency managers and the state. And, and I would hope that any uh, radio operators listening would reach out to their local emergency management agencies and volunteer their time and efforts and, uh, and expertise. Uh, it's certainly a high level of expertise of these folks to be able to, to do what they do. Sue? And we, just right here in Monroe County and also Owen County, we have a very active uh, team of ham radio operators, and we also have a room for them at our chapter house. Um, they work with us on drills. We support their um, annual ham fest, they call it, in which they, they do a major drill. Um, we just um, have um, the enormous respect for them. Um, certainly in disaster operations as well. They assist the American Red Cross. Do you so. get information from them in some cases first maybe to go to figure out how to triage who needs help the fastest in any way? Certainly in damage assessment, yes, we do. Want to get to another phone caller. Uh, Chuck is on the line. Chuck wanted to talk more about the idea of uh, mobile home tie-downs. Chuck, thanks for calling in. Sure. 
I just wanted to relate a uh, incident that happened to me in the seventies. Uh, really, it's not so much an incident. I uh, having a garage built. Um, what we had was a uh, sixteen by twenty four, and the guy wanted to put it on the slab. It was prefab, and uh, he was going to use a nail gun to drive the nails into the concrete. And I thought, well, that's that's not a good idea. Why don't we bolt that down? He said, well, that's an option. We can do that for you. But if we bolt the bottom board to the slab. He, he said, you're concerned about high wind. I said, yes, I am. He said, we bolt the board to the slab. When the high wind comes along, all that's going to be left is the bottom board. Instead of it taking the whole thing, it'll leave you the bottom board. Um, the point that uh, that applies to trailers, I think, uh, is that if you get a, a trailer and you tie it down, it all depends on how well the trailer's built. Either the whole trailer will leave or just parts of it. So the trailer construction, you're saying, is, is just as important as the whole idea of tying it to something that's anchored into the earth? If not more, yes. Huh, that's an interesting idea. That's something I, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about, as a matter of fact. Yeah, my nose rubbed in it, but in any case. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks for calling in. I, I'd like to comment on on the issue with mobile homes. Is that we all we all know that uh, there's some vulnerability there um, as far as high winds are concerned when it comes to living in a mobile home. Uh, and I I have to step back to the preparedness efforts and and having a plan in place and the um, the message from the National Weather Service, your local. Um, weather stations, and whatever other alerts, um, particularly those weather radios you can put in your home, when those alert you to significant weather, don't be complacent. Make sure that you have a plan to go to a neighbor with a basement, um, a strong uh, Uh, home or business or something in your area, and you plan that in advance. You know that the the vulnerability exists with the construction of that trailer in high winds. It's it's time to have a plan as far as where am I going to go and how am I going to protect me and my family. And that's simply a strong, sturdy structure with a basement, and uh, that's best-case scenario. Um, Right, that's uh, something Kurt was talking about that they do routinely in Oklahoma. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and that's a, a given. That's just a part of the the um, taking some ownership of your own safety and having that plan in place as to where am I going to go and what am I going to do and how am I going to make sure I have the quickest, best, most updated information to take action. Jesse, I want to ask you on the on the issue of preparedness. Um, yeah. um, there is a hierarchy of places to go. If, if you don't have a basement, you know, find, a, find an area in your home that is um, the most numerous walls away from the outside. Um, right. If you're on the highway, you know, jump into a ditch. Um, it seems like the laying in a ditch option is always the last one. How, how safe is it to actually go into a ditch and wait out the tornado? A lot of the fatalities in, in, in Joplin um, were from people who were driving on the highway, and, you know, there's really nowhere for you to go out right. there. Is it, is it really a, an option to, it, it, to stay it's, safe? Yeah, it's, it's a much better option to, if, if you actually, you know, you have a tornado in sight and it's moving towards the highway you're driving on or whatever road you're driving on, it is very, it's, it's a lot safer than being in your car because uh, a lot of these cars, especially with a tornado of the, uh, the caliber of the one in Joplin, you know, with winds, you know, around the 200 miles per hour, you know, a car is, is history. You know, these, these tornadoes will, will rip them off the ground and throw them, and if you're in it, you're going with it. But if you're in a ditch, you, you may be able to, you know, to get lower than the level of the rotation with the tornado and also stay safe from any debris flying around. Uh, it's certainly a much better option than the car, and, you know, you might find something anchored down to as well, like to hold on to some sort of roost or whatever you can and, and, you know, cover your head as well. And, and also, one thing I do want to note, some people tend to think it's, it's a good idea to go under overpasses during these things. It's a very bad idea if, if, to pull under an overpass and to, to get in that crevice. It's a terrible idea, one of the worst places you could possibly be, in fact. And why is that? Uh, a lot of times, these, when you get under these things, the air gets really channeled through that area, and you get a lot of debris. Also, you get the threat of the overpass collapsing on you, which would be a very bad thing. You know, these are tons and tons of concrete that could be crashing on you, so you're basically setting yourself up to, to be under a huge cement roof that you really don't need to be. want to move on to uh, another caller. Joseph has been waiting patiently on the line. Joseph, thanks for calling in. Yes. 
just wanted to give the uh, listeners a few tips. Um, <clears throat> one is a, a the storm before last. I was watching the news, Channel Eight and Channel Eleven out of India, and they have great radar. They have Guardian and Viper. And they can tell by the minute when the storm will hit your area. For example, one storm they said um, would hit about 5.15. And sure enough, it's more accurate than the bus schedule in Bloomington. Uh, so they really are extremely accurate in their times of approach. So, But if you lose electricity, then what? Well, then you can go to your battery backup radio. <clears throat> and I was listening to WGLC about 5.30, and I noticed that there's a couple guys on there, and they were receiving phone calls from people with cell phones about tree limbs and streets that are out and stuff like that. So that's kind of another network of amateur radio. Not everybody has that amateur radio. Uh, it sounds like we got to get you listening to the professionals at WFIU, Joseph. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> great, uh, except sometimes they don't have a live person with updates. It's a, it's a national feed, isn't it? Do they actually have somebody on in the radio station giving live... Um, we certainly did the other day, and, oh, we'll, we'll, okay. and we'll be happy to do it for you whenever there's the next storm as well. Okay, and you can phone in where there are problems? Absolutely. Oh, I didn't even know that. Okay, Absolutely. Happy to have that help. All right, thanks. Thanks for your call. We okay. certainly appreciate it. Have a good day. Okay, bye. Jerry, I want to ask you on that on that topic of these improvements in technology and, and communication and preparedness. Um, were the recent storms that passed through Indiana the, over the past couple of days, were those storms severe enough that you think these improvements in technology helped save some people's lives? Oh, I think so. I, you know, we, we talk about um, listening to the, the National Weather Service and, and uh, you know, our, our caller just mentioned the fact that, well, when the power goes out, you know, good luck with that. Um, but you, you do have um, other opportunities, and, and I will um, lay money on the, uh, the benefits of those severe weather radios for your home because they will uh, alert you to to any disaster that um, is is occurring, not just severe weather. So they're really m- multi-use now. Um, they're the um, things on the the smartphones. Um, you can get the National Weather Service or your local uh, news service to ping your your telephone whenever there's a severe weather alert. Um, there are there are great things like Twitter and Facebook that people continually feed information into. They the um, we spent in our agency um, we have a Twitter and a Facebook account and and we uh, continually update those with safety messaging. Um, so I think there are a lot of options and uh, and I think people are starting to use those options to their advantage. You know, you've mentioned weather radios a couple of times now. I, I want to get into that a little bit. Uh, uh, Sue, I actually want to go to you first mm-hmm. on this. We've had these weather radios for a while now. The city of Kokomo in the last year or so has been actually running a program where it's selling them at a discounted cost in a partnership with a store to mm-hmm. residents of the city. Does the Red Cross at all think about as part of the the services that they offer people who have gone through these tornadoes, is there any way that the Red Cross has thought about giving people the weather radio to say, look, this may happen again and maybe this will offer you a little bit more advanced warning than you had this time? Mm-hmm. I think – I mean our community partners certainly have in the last couple of years. Um, those have been available three, free through certs. Um, uh, and some of the other, you know, co-ed type organizations. We have some Red Cross branded weather radios, but that's a great idea for for a local grant, and and I'll pursue that. I think that's a great idea. And, and, and Jerry, I wanted to ask you, you know, the city of Kokomo is doing this in part because, believe it or not, even though this is one of the places where we had the Palm Sunday tornado, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, they've never had weather sirens in, in Kokomo. Mm-hmm. And I talked to the mayor at length about the idea of these weather radios, and it's his feeling that this is not only more cost-effective, but maybe it's more effective in general at getting the word out to people, not just about severe weather in the spring and summer, but also about snow and ice emergencies as well. Would it be worth looking into, and I'm curious what the IDHS is telling communities, uh, would it be worth looking into not spending any more money on having sirens and just giving people home-by-home weather radios? Yeah, well, uh, you know... uh, the Department of Homeland Security in Indiana has has taken that position, as a matter of fact, and in that 
um, weather warning sirens were were really when they were instituted um, many years ago. This was a an outdoor weather warning siren, and that's why they're labeled as such: outdoor weather warning sirens. When you're outdoors, they're very audible. Um, now. Not, that's not to say you can't hear them inside buildings. Um, but, you know, in our rural communities, we have no op- opportunities for that. Um, uh, the rural nature uh, it does not make a weather warning siren every so many hun- uh, miles cost effective. So I think the weather radio, you know, they're 30 to $40 purchase if someone wants to buy them for, for their home or business. Um, but through our public information office, we have distributed uh, a number of weather radios to our local partners, to the emergency management agencies in all 92 counties in Indiana. Um, now, we tell the emergency managers that they get to make the rules on how they distribute these free radios. Um, if there is a vulnerable population, and that vulnerable population we've already discussed, maybe someone that lives in a mobile home, maybe someone that's on a uh, fixed income and cannot afford to purchase one on their own, um, someone that lives uh, near or uh, a river or stream, um, someone that lives in, in a high-threat area. Each local emergency management agency has a small cache of radios um, that they can distribute free of charge to local partners so or to citizens that they protect. So that is available. Um, so I, I would reach out to the local emergency management agency to see if you might qualify for how they're distributing their radios. Jesse, I want to get back to you. Um, we're just kind of curious what what kind of what kind of stuff you've seen out on the road uh, chasing storms, and uh, maybe what kind of equipment you go out out there and use when when you need to go out and and uh, chase a storm. Sure. One uh, of the uh, start with the equipment. I guess uh, we use basically this certain radar software uh, product by GR, which is called GR. You can use GR level two or GR level three. We basically run this radar software out of our vehicle. And uh, we basically, you get live updates. Uh, each state has, you know, several radar systems. Indianapolis has a radar out of, from the National Weather Service. Fort Wayne has their own. And you can kind of tap into these radars and see what's going on in, in that area. And it, it's a live update that we use uh, via a, uh, like a wireless Internet card that would connect to some sort of cell phone tower. Uh, we also have something that uh, some storm chasers don't tend to use. We, we have a... Uh, a uh, mesonet or like a mobile weather station that we've uh, we bought and we put on top of our vehicle. It basically it measures um, all the atmospheric conditions, wind, uh, pressure, humidity, and you get this kind of uh, live data of what's going on in that area. Uh, things that we've chased in the past, we've I mean we've been to several states. We've been out as far as uh, I personally haven't gone all the way out into the plains. With uh, Ball State offers a, a storm chasing class where. You know, they, they basically go out three weeks, and they're out there now traveling. Anywhere they go in the plains, they were in Oklahoma just a few days ago when they had that big severe weather outbreak. And uh, they, they've seen, you know, several tornadoes as they go out on that trip. I've been over to Iowa. I believe in early April they had a rather big tornado outbreak. Mapleton, Iowa, was uh, devastated by a tornado. We were there for that. It was, it was actually measured to be a 2.8-mile wedge tornado, and, Seeing something like that is quite an incredible sight, and it's it's both exciting and it's something. It's also a responsibility as somebody studying meteorology and a storm chaser that if you come up to a you know a town that's devastated, and we've we've come up to several towns that have been hit pretty hard, nothing terribly devastating, but it's also your responsibility to help these people out rather than continue chasing. You know, there is some sort of decorum and some sort of uh, you know like morals behind storm chasing. It's it's quite an adventure. We've seen numerous. Uh, sizes of hail. I've seen hail size of softballs, and, and it's quite an incredible sight. So severe weather is something, you know, not to be taken lightly. And I'm glad you guys are doing this segment to kind of, you know, inform people that, you know, if there is a warning, please heed it as it is, because, you know, people that give these warnings are very educated and are trying to keep you and your family safe. So, you know, being out there and seeing these things actually happen, you know, just because, you know, you may not have a warning in your area, you know, it's definitely a good idea to keep in intact with the media to see what's going to happen. I, I got to ask, how close have you actually been to a tornado? Have you been in one? I, I, I personally have never seen one, let alone been near one. 
No, I haven't been in one, um, and that's a definitely a good thing. We, you know, with our radar software that we have, we, we keep ourselves located with the GPS on the radar, so we have a dot of where we are in accordance to a storm. And uh, all of our friends, my friends, are either meteorologists or, you know, senior meteorology students. So we know where we stay to stay relative to a storm. The closest we've gotten was a, about a mile and a half away, and that was in Iowa, in western Iowa. Uh, there was a rather large wedge tornado moving through a city called Pocahontas. We were just a mile and a half southeast of the city, and the uh, tornado was moving just north of the city. So we, we've been moderately close, but it is important if you are storm chasing to stay at a very safe distance away from the storm. And, and basically, you need to follow the storm. Don't let the storm follow you. I want to go to each of you quickly in, in our last minute and a half here and give you each 30 seconds. And, Jesse, we'll start with you. Give me one or two things you think people should do to be better prepared to to deal with this sort of severe weather. Okay. Uh, number one uh, key thing is, is definitely a NOAA weather radio. You can purchase those at places like Walgreens or CVS. That is your, your first place for warning. Also, having that set up and that action plan in case severe weather strikes your area is very important. Make sure everybody in your household is on the same page on where to go and what to do. Uh, keep in intact with media. You know, a lot of local television stations do severe weather break-ins. Those are very important to knowing what's happening and, you know, and what's going to happen in the future. So basically having everybody on the same page and all right. keeping those warnings is important. Sue, from you, a couple of things real quick. Well, just f- first of all, combat complacency in yourself and in your family. Be prepared and have that plan. Listen and stay in touch on social media, certainly. But uh, more than anything else, heed the warnings and uh, be, you know have your whole family really educated about what it means to be prepared. Jerry, anything else real quick from you? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, well, it's certainly... Uh, I don't think there's much to follow with that. Um, uh, make sure that that you understand that that personal responsibility is a tremendous thing to embrace. Uh, I think, I think I, we're, we're out of time, but I think that's a really good message actually to end with. And, and my thanks to the two of you, Jesse, my thanks to you as well for being on the program. Thanks, thanks also to Kurt Gordney. For Rachel Lyon, for Mike Pashkash, for Alex Roy, for Dan Goldblatt, I'm Stan Jastrzewski saying thanks for listening to Noon Edition here on WFIU. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.